0: Well, happy Saturday to you. This and every Saturday. My name is Ed Stetzer. I have the privilege of being your host here at Ed Stetzer Live. And we're going to have a hopeful and fascinating conversation today on the issue of of doubt. In fact, this may be one that you want to call somebody, maybe uh, send them a text, say, "Hey, you might want to tune in to Moody Radio." Our partners and affiliates, you know, we're on over 150 outlets across the country. You can also listen online at the link. If you text somebody and they say, "Well, there's not a station in my area," <laughs> well, first let's get a station in your area, but um, but you can actually listen online as well. So, my um, name Stetzer. I lead the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. I'm a dean and a professor at Wheaton College, and for our purposes this and every saturday i am your host and we have some really i think helpful conversations and right now maybe a pressing conversation uh, of our day is around issues of what are often called deconstruction and deconstruction we're going to we're going to ask our guest to define and talk about some of those things though though the focus of his book and his writing is on on doubt there's a certain obvious relationship to that. Many of us hear the word doubt and we fear the word doubt. We think doubt leads to disbelief. Does it? Must it? Can it? Should it? And that's what we're going to talk about today. And excited to bring to you A.J. Swoboda. He is an assistant professor of Bible theology and world Christianity at Bushnell University. We have something in common. We both lead a doctor of ministry program. We just launched one here at Wheaton College. He leads the doctor of ministry program around the Holy Spirit and leadership at Fuller Theological Seminary. He's the author of a number of books, including the award-winning Subversive Sabbath. I love that book. And his latest book is uh, After Doubt, How to Question Your Faith Without Losing It. And I think that subtitle is key to our whole conversation today. My, I imagine that some of you have questions, and we're going to open up the calls as always to you to join us eight seven seven five four eight three six seven five. But I'm going to start in with some questions as well. And first, just by saying, hey, thanks and welcome, AJ, for joining us on the program.
1: And it's an absolute pleasure
0: to be with you. Thanks for taking time to chat this morning. Well, we talked for the program. We have engaged a bit on Twitter online, but that's about it. I don't think we've ever met, and so happy to happy to meet via radio and around this important topic. So let's let's start with I, I tweeted a few. Weeks ago, uh, that it's it's not wrong to doubt, and um, and I you know just a simple <laughs> sentence. I didn't put a lot of context in it. I, I think that that's you know part of the. But but it was interesting. People reacted strongly um, some saying, amen. I, you know, I doubt this. I doubt that. I doubt, you know, God's going to, you know, work in it. And people said, well, what you know? It's in one sentence. So what do you mean? What kind of doubt? What, what, where's that doubt lead? And a couple of pastors, you know, stepped in and rebuked and, you know, Twitter's not a great place for clarity, uh, or nuance.
2: <laughs> so, so is it,
0: is it wrong to doubt? Is it right to doubt? Is it normal to doubt? Maybe mm-hmm. unpack all of those for us as we start our conversation.
1: Man. Yeah. Well, uh, welcome to Twitter the, and, and Trying to talk about these conversations in broader in in those sort of public environments can be really tricky, and so I'll do my best to not offend all those same people that maybe were frustrated with you when you said that. Yeah, um, but the, <laughs> you know the truth is, uh, Ed, um, when you follow Jesus long enough, um, it is part of following Jesus to go through experiences of um, beginning to wonder about what you believe. Um, I've often I, I heard it said at one point, and I think this really applies to like our beliefs about Jesus, that we often don't give enough attention to our beliefs. Um, we treat our beliefs a little bit the way we treat our pipes in our, in our, in our kitchen or in our home. You know, We don't think about it until there's a problem. Um, mm. and, the, and, the, and I think that's, a, that's, that's not good. We are called to think deeply about what we believe. Um, I think that sometimes doubt is a very important part of the Christian faith. Read the Psalms and tell me that David didn't walk through these sorts of experiences in order to find a deeper knowledge of God. Um, I think a lot of it depends, Ed, on what we're doubting. I mean, if we're doubting the love of God, that's one thing. But if we're doubting that maybe some of our theologies um, that we believe don't reflect the Bible, that's a good thing. We should question our theology and ask if it reflects Scripture or not. Mm Mm-hmm. It seemed that
0: the uh, psalmists, they would at times doubt the goodness of God. So you mentioned that may not be such a good one, but they're just, you know, why, O Lord? How long, O Lord? These are recurring themes. They seem to doubt God's plan for sure. So how do we look to, and and yet we we should also say that, you know, the teaching in the scripture, you know, look about James says, do not doubt, believe and do not doubt. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. um, help us to balance those things out, because clearly the Holy Spirit has inspired the writers of some of the Psalms to put doubts on paper for us to see them. Yet we're also told, do not doubt. Help us balance those out.
1: Yeah, I I don't think the scriptures ever command us to doubt. That's not what what the Psalms are inviting us to do. But the Psalms are creating a pathway forward for people who do. I mean, mm-hmm. when, when, when David writes, you know, I, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, he, he's describing clearly a very painful experience that he is walking through. And the fact that we have scriptures that so vehemently show his own internal angst shows us that part of following God is you will walk through those experiences. We're not told to do it but there's a pathway through it when we do. For me, when I think, you know, I'm an undergraduate professor, when I'm talking with one of my students who has a really deep question about their faith, my question is not necessarily about what they're doubting, it's why they're doubting it. For, I think that there's two, I don't know, motivations or rationale. I think sometimes our doubts really are because we love God and want God with all of our heart and we're struggling to believe But I also think sometimes we doubt not because we're trying to follow Jesus. I think sometimes we doubt because really we want to be done with Jesus and we want to do our own thing. We want to sleep with who we want to sleep with. We don't want a Bible to tell us uh, what to think. I think our motivations really matter. But if I'm sitting with a student who says, man, I'm really struggling to believe, but I want to, that to me is the path of following Jesus. Like that, Mm -hmm. that happens to all of us who
0: love God. I believe, helped me with my unbelief and more. So you and I both work at uh, colleges, universities, and the idea that students come in you know they they've been you know raised maybe in a christian home our, our school is what we call a covenant school so you you have to have a christian commitment to attend but that doesn't mean they're not like well you know what do i really believe of what my parents told me what do i really believe what my yeah. church told me you deal with the same thing there, at bushnell so how, how do you help students and because this would be a, i think a key thing a lot of people will wonder their kids their young adults their high school students are doubting how do I respond? How do you help encourage people to respond?
1: Yeah. Well, I can tell you this. Um, When I have a student come into my office and they've got deep questions about their faith, the least helpful response uh, is to sit and give them a YouTube video to try to fix their problem. Um, what, What they generally speaking are looking for is they are looking for someone to walk with them through the midst of these deep questions. I mean, we have a whole book in the Bible about a guy who loses everything and how not to respond, which is Job's three friends come in and give him really trite religious answers to his existential angst. What he needed was just people to be with him in the dust. He didn't need, uh, he didn't need a YouTube clip. He needed people to walk with him. So in my experience, my, the most helpful thing I can do for people who are in the midst of doubt or deconstruction is rather than just giving them quick answers give them my whole self. Listen, be present to them, uh, be understanding. Yes, there are moments to give answers, but that needs to come after the work of listening first. And so the process, being a good pastor means doing the ministry of the ear, listening first, and then walking somebody through those questions, those Um, angsts. I think that posture really makes a big difference, Ed.
0: Good. Let me invite our callers as well. My guess is you may say, you know, what's what? How do I deal with my doubts? How do I walk through them? Maybe you're working with a with a child, We're trying to figure out how best to do that. You've got to hear a college professor who's uh works and uh, walks with uh, young adults, and your calls are welcome. Eight seven seven five four eight three six seven five. That's eight seven seven five four eight three six seven five. So I guess one of the questions people will often ask me is what's what's a normal amount of doubting? Um, is it you know if I'm I know it's it's strange because it's like if I'm a naturally skeptical person, um, you know, a naturally inquisitive person, and then I'm going to maybe doubt more or doubt less. Now again, to remind everyone: the book we're talking about is "After Doubt: How to Question Your Faith Without Losing It." Let me also mention that we're going to give away some copies to some great calls, not just random call and get a book, but if you've got a great call, great question or a comment. So, um, you know, your subtitle is How to Question Your Faith Without Losing It. So what's normal? Do you, do, does everybody question their faith? Does everyone question their faith a lot, mm-hmm. a little? Are there mm-hmm. times? Are there dark nights of the soul? What's normal? And, and again, I'm asking yeah. you to, to weigh in, but you've had a lot of conversations with people.
1: Yeah, you mentioned <clears throat> this word deconstruction, um, which is really yeah. a big a big word that that's kind of gotten a lot of playtime. At our moment in history and and it's an important conversation to have which basically means um, questioning or or dismantling beliefs that we have previously held and it's a Mm -hmm. we live in a moment in time where we are seeing almost a whole cottage industry of people trying to get people to deconstruct it's 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 almost it's almost as though we're trying to proactively cause people to deconstruct i i do not i do not subscribe to that in any if we're trying to get people to doubt that's a big problem
0: yeah. I mean, speaking the of YouTube, time. I mean, that's a big that's a big part oh, of YouTube right now is like, you can go for hours just looking at things to deconstruct your faith. But yeah, keep going.
1: Absolutely. I mean, whole TikTok video streams that are essentially created and curated to get young people to deconstruct their faith. I yep. think that's yep. really dangerous. Yet at the same time, there, there's a flip side of this conversation. I am astounded, Ed, when we look at the array of biblical authors— inspired as you said inspired authors and writings in the new testament that clearly portray um, massive internal struggle of belief for all of our heroes in the faith i mean i it is astounding to me when we look at the gospel of mark which is by the way not mark was not a disciple of jesus he was a second he's recording peter's story there is no gospel that gives more clear depiction of Peter's denial story than Mark's gospel, meaning Peter wanted his own story of failure to be a part of the biblical narrative. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I look at the biblical storyline from David to Solomon to Peter to John, our heroes of the faith in the Bible are depicted as people who had major struggles to follow God. We should expect we will walk through similar experiences. I don't want to normalize deconstruction, but for mm-hmm. people who are walking through it, I want—I want them to know they're not alone. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so help I, me with I that can, then. So, what—what what is walking I, through it? I mean, how—how how does, like, there are times I doubt God's plan. You know, I, I'm like, you know, Lord, I'm just stuck yeah. in this, and it's more of an emotional yeah. response. Is it? Do people sometimes? I mean, would you expect Christians <clears throat> to doubt God's existence? Would be to doubt. You know God's God's love for them. I mean, help us because there's multiple yeah. ways to doubt. And you and yeah. let me just remind people that you address these in different ways in After Doubt: How to Question Your Faith Without Losing It. But help us to yeah. think about some of the nuances there.
1: Well, there's there's a difference, isn't it? Striking that the New Testament, the Gospels uh, contrast. I mean, when you look at Judas Iscariot, who who of course abandons Jesus at the end for just a few bucks. I mean, he. It, it doesn't take a whole lot for Judas to walk away, and you have Peter, who becomes, you know, one of the apostles of the apostles. I mean, he's he's the hero of, of he's one of the heroes of the early Christian church. And when you look at both of them, they both have one thing in common: um, they both turn their back on Jesus. Mm-hmm. The difference between the two, I mean, they they both committed the same deal. The difference between the two is one of them. Was willing to return and be forgiven, and one of them walked mm. away entirely. Mm. I mean, there there is a distinction. I think there is a distinction between doubt and unbelief. Okay. Doubt are momentary struggles that we have to believe. Unbelief is walking away. Yeah. So we need to be cautious to not assume those are the same exact things because a Peter is going to walk through a dark time.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, and, I, and I've walked through those. You've walked through those. We've all walked through those as well. And we're going to talk, we'll continue our conversation in just a moment with your calls, 877-548-3675. Because I think part of the question is, is how do we walk through those doubts? Do we just? Is it a good thing to say, don't doubt, don't doubt, stay in faith, stay focused? Or do we need to walk through, consider, think through? We're going to have this conversation continuing with A.J. Swoboda, eight seven seven five four eight 3675 is our number. Let's have you join us in the conversation. Eight seven seven five four eight three six seven five. 548 3675. Hey, we're back. And as I expected, this is a topic of interest for folks. So we've got several folks on the line as well. We're talking to AJ Swoboda. We're having a conversation about his helpful book, After Doubt How to Question Your Faith Without Losing It. It's published by Brazos. And uh, we're, it was actually published during the pandemic, which I think has been a, uh, a real crucible for a lot of people as well. Published, uh, well, I was going to say this year, but we just changed years. Published in March of 2021. Again, the title is After Doubt How to Question Your Faith without losing it. Let's go to the phones. We're going to go to Tim in Minnesota. Tim, you're live on the air. What's your question or your comment?
2: Hi, thanks so much. Um, you know, I, I've always been raised since basically 1977 that that uh, doubt is basically an enemy of faith. And, you know, the scriptures that you guys have used so far are, are kind
0: of pre-Holy Spirit filling the disciples and or Old Testament versions of, of, like, for instance, David doubting. But, you know, if you look at Mary, who didn't understand what the angel was saying, and so asked a question, I'm not in doubt, but just wonder, and then you look at, you know, John the Baptist dad, um, <laughs> doubting the angel and so becoming mute. Um, I just don't, you know, I don't, you know, I see Jesus rebuking the disciples continually saying, oh, you have a little faith when they doubt it, so, you know, help me out with that. I don't see any New Testament scriptures after the Holy Spirit filling
2: people where it says that any kind of doubt is good.
0: Yeah, that's a mm. super question. I want you to hold on the line, Tim, because we want to give you a copy of "After Doubt: How to Question Your Faith Without Losing It." But a great question: Dwelling of the Holy Spirit, um, doubts not clearly affirmed. How do we think about that? You address that in the book. So walk, walk, Tim, and all of us through that conversation.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't, I agree, Tim. A great question, and I actually, as I said before, um, I don't think that it would be um, good in any way, shape, or form to try to valorize doubt, meaning. Um, we don't, we don't want to create an environment where we're trying to get people to doubt. I'm not, we're not trying to do that. I'm not trying to merit, trying to create a merit badge out of doubt. That said, um, two, three very clear texts to me, um, in the, in the New Testament speak to the fact that, um, those who do doubt are welcomed, uh, into Mm -hmm. the community of faith. For example, in Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus uh is a preparing to ascend Matthew makes a comment that they came to worship Jesus on the mountain and some doubted meaning Jesus made space in his worshiping community for people that were struggling as well we have a very clear commandment in the book of Jude in the letter of Jude um that uh we are to be merciful to those who doubt meaning um well you can't be merciful to people that aren't in your community I mean it, it seems to suggest that they were they were there and needed tremendous mercy and love uh, in the midst of it. And I I think I would add to that um, the the, the brilliant depiction of the New Testament character of Thomas, known as Doubting Thomas, although that's never named in the New Testament. That's sort of a a post-New Testament name that he's picked up. But Thomas, of course, who struggles to believe, eventually becomes, history tells us, the first apostle to go to the nation of India. And if you've ever met a Christian from India with the last name Thomas, there's a reason. There are 2,000 years of of a history of faithful people in India who love Jesus because Thomas, the doubter, went and preached. So, the, I think the point is, yes, we should not valorize doubt, but we simultaneously need to be profoundly merciful and kind to those that are in the midst of it. Yeah. I think
0: that's well articulated. By the way, I'm kind of a defender of Thomas, and so I appreciate your comments there. Uh, this is the same <laughs> Thomas who says, you know, let's go to Jerusalem and die with him. Let's, And, you know, he becomes this missionary to India, the Thomistic churches. I think we often... Uh, Caricature, You know, I, I did a sermon yeah. once and I said, you know, imagine if you were Fat Albert and the, your whole definition was because you know, <laughs> of a comic book character and you're doubting Thomas. Doubting <coughs> Thomas is a multifaceted, amazing, biblical figure. Anyway, you got me. Don't get me preaching my, my sermon on uh, on Thomas. Tim, thank you for your call. And, and again, Chris Carl calling on KJLY up in Minnesota. We appreciate their partnership uh, as well. We're going to go to Bill in Orlando, Florida. Bill, you're live on the air. What's your question or your comment?
2: Hey, uh, a tremendous conversation. I uh, really appreciate it. And my question is, with there's so many young people, you know, who are walking away from the faith, or or at least the orthodox tenets of the faith, and many of them have embraced a lot of the social narratives, and if you will, that that has become the focus of their faith. And my question is, how how do you help those people? kind of come back to the faith, and maybe mm-hmm. even more particularly relevant to your discussion on uh, comparing uh, Peter and, um, and Judas. Yeah. Yeah, Peter is probably less difficult, but what do you do with the with the ones whose hearts have been hardened from the Orthodox and, again, have sort of embraced these false gospels?
0: Yeah, so good, Bill. Bill, what you hold on the line too. By the way, love Orlando, Gra- Donna and I graduated Lake Howell High School down there, and so thankful for our partner stations there at WKES, one of our Moody stations there. Um, if you hold on the line too, I want to give you a copy of uh, the book. It's After Doubt: How to Question Your Faith Without Losing It. AJ, what do you what do you think about
1: Bill's question? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, this is the the reality of our time is. Um, you know the, the stats at least are 60 percent of those that are raised uh in the in the evangelical kind of conservative christianity tradition 60 percent four years after they graduate from high school no longer identify or participate uh in christian community what you're describing is not just anecdotal it it is um peer-reviewed i mean <laughs> meaning we can we can see it and um it's heart, absolutely heartbreaking in fact i uh i met jesus when i was 16 years old in high school and pretty much all the people that I knew that loved Jesus when I was in high school 24 years ago are no longer Christians to this day. Um, there has been a groundswell of people, young people, who have walked walked away. Um, I, I mean, I'm I'm struck. Um, I, I'm struck at Jesus's tone and tenor in what he what he describes for people that do um, walk away. And in one, in, in of course, in the Gospels, he says. Um, that if, if somebody chooses to walk away, we should treat them as we would a tax collector. Um, and that's, that's striking language for me, given how Jesus treated tax collectors. Um, he called one of them to be his own disciples. I mean, Jesus, I actually think Jesus was very kind to tax collectors. I think Jesus um, had compassion on tax collectors. I don't think he wrote them off. I think he rubbed shoulders with them. Um, I, I think I would say this, probably the most important thing we can do for anyone who has walked away, is not commit the sin of writing them off. Um, and what I mean by that is stay in their life, because I, I will say personally, ideologies are not fulfilling. And when we replace Jesus with an ideology, that ideology, um, it, may be, it may be fun for six months, but it loses its zeal pretty darn quick. And when that, ide- when, when that ideology um, falls apart, they're going to long for relationships with people they can trust. Stay in their relation. Stay in relationship with them after that decision to walk away. Stay have a long term vision for that person. Treat them as a tax collector. Stay in their life. Um, don't write them off. Yeah, and,
0: and when you talk about. Um, how we treat somebody who has left the faith. Sometimes people, well, what about church discipline? We think about 1 Corinthians 5 and following, but those situations are someone who continues in sin as a so-called brother and doesn't acknowledge that. I mean, we're talking about people who have walked away. That's not the same thing as somebody who is bringing disrepute and more into the church by their actions. And so this is a place for us to say, how do we engage the the unsure or those, like those who have maybe are sure and have walked away? It's, the same way we'd engage anyone that needs uh to know the good news, needs to know the, the love of the Lord and and more. That 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 matters that we that we have that posture. And one of the things I really like about the book, after again, the book is after doubt, how to question your faith without losing it, is that recurring theme of that journey. But one of the questions obviously is in the subtitle is can we question our faith without losing it? I mean, help me with that.
1: Oh, I I if if uh <laughs> I, wish, I I kinda wish I had a, uh, a tape recorder of my faith journey or, or sort of my internal thoughts and the, the day-to-day uh, for, for me. Um, uh, it, it's the story of my life. I mean, I, th- I describe um, this journey, I call it the theological journey in the book. Uh, and it's the, 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 the journey of construction, which is when we, those moments that we built, our theology, our faith, and our understanding. Deconstruction, when we question it. And the reconstruction, when we return to it. It's the parable. Mm-hmm of the prodigal son. It's of a young boy who runs away, parties it out, and comes home to find a father who, who loves him. I, I can't tell you how many times <laughs> as, as a 40 year old, I have been the prodigal who has hmm. run, run away and then once again found the grace of God uh, in the arms of the father. Um, here's what happens when I come back every time. Every time I return to the father, I love him all the more. And my faith becomes deeper and deeper and deeper because I realize how incredibly graceful the God is that we serve. You don't know how graceful you are until you've known how deep your sin is. So to me, I, I, I can't describe to you the number of times as a 40-year-old, I wish this wasn't the case, but the number of times I have doubted, I have struggled, I have wondered, and once again found the grace of God and realized how great the Savior's love is for me.
0: Mm -hmm. We have uh, just about 30 seconds, AJ, before we need to take a quick pause. But help us to, because I think for a lot of people, you didn't write a book on faith, you wrote a book on doubt. Why focus on that side rather than pointing (laughs) people to the faith side? About 30 seconds.
1: Yeah, well, I live I live in Oregon, and you, you know, if you've never spent time in Oregon or Washington, you have to talk about this because everyone is talking about it. So maybe it could be partly my environment, but partly the fact that folks don't have any discipleship in these sorts of areas and desperately need it.
0: We're going to continue our conversation with AJ in just a moment. 877-548-3675 to call in. Again, 877-548-3675 here. And Ed Stetzer live with AJ Swoda talking about doubt. Hey, we're back. We're having a real helpful conversation with A.J. Swoboda. He's a professor at Bushnell University. He's written a book called After Doubt, How to Question Your Faith Without Losing It. And, you know, you could even parse every word in that subtitle. How? Should you? Should you not? Why do you? Should you avoid it? How to question? What question mean? Does that seem as doubt? Is that walking away? Without losing it, though, is key to that as well. Uh, One of the things that you know, we we often have phone calls and conversations. You know, you're working with college students, as as do I. I actually have students, uh, children who are all student age, college students. One about to go, one in grad school, one in college. And the reality is, um, they they're not going to believe everything the exact same way I believe it. Um, some people, some young people, question their faith as they move into adulthood. So, how should parents and well, maybe those that love you know their their students? How should parents and other believers who care for students talk
1: to them about their doubts? That's a great – and by the way, as a dad myself, I've got um, two children. I'm terrified of our deconstruction age. (laughs) I'm terrified. It's it's not not a good season. I want my – yeah, I want my, I almost, I'm like, don't go to college, stay at home. and let, let, Let's just start a little family commune here and never um, never go okay. into the world. I feel that. Yeah. Um, but in the, <clears throat> the truth is, you know, if I want my son and my daughter to be lifelong disciples of Jesus, they're going to need to live in the world. And they're going to need to have the skills that are necessary to live uh, in the world that we live in. And that requires that I hand them the faith in a way that creates a lifelong disciple. And truthfully, I tell a story in the book um, about a young woman who years ago told me her story. She had been raised in a kind of conservative Christian evangelical home. and <clears throat> But in her family, she described how um, there were no boundaries. So she, it, it, it was never her faith. It was always her parents' faith. And she just adopted mm-hmm. her parents' faith without ever, ever becoming her, her own. Mm-hmm. And she describes that there were no boundaries in her family. And the way that she knew there were no boundaries is that her mom – would always bust into her bedroom without knocking. So she would just, that was the sign. She just knew, like, she never asked. She just sort of blew into the room. And she, of course, this young woman goes off to college. She completely deconstructs her faith, walks away from, uh, from the church and whatnot. And of course, after college, she gets married, has a kid, which is like the number one thing that happens for people when they need God again is you have a child because you desperately need God to, to get you through that. And so she starts going back to church, and she decides to start reading the Bible again. And she is reading uh, in the book of Revelation, and she reads the description of Jesus. And it says that Jesus stands at the door, and he knocks. And all of a sudden, it was that for the first time she recognized something about Jesus that she had never seen before, and that is Hmm. that Jesus doesn't force his way in. Hmm. He knocks. And for her, that was a really healing image, because it meant Jesus is inviting relationship; he's not forcing it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that I think that's what's important about that <clears throat> is that when we coerce or force children to believe without any sense of of invitation or desire involved, um, it can easily lead to a sort of resentment down the road. I just want to chuck this because you forced this on me. Yeah. I want to be the kind of father. I want my son to believe. I teach my son the Bible. We pray together. We. Friend, I'm a. I'm a really great disciple of my son. <clears throat> but I have to. I have to have a careful posture, to not coerce. I want to be mm. a. Be, I want to invite. And and I think that when I have a more invitational posture long term, that's going to have much better fruit than forcing it. Yeah.
0: We're going to take your calls in just a moment. I'll ask AJ one more question and then we're going to go to your calls. But um, you can still you still have time to jump on. It's 877-548-3675. We're talking about doubt. We are just talking a minute ago about our, our kids doubting. Um, and I want to talk about us and what does it mean, you know, should we be afraid to ask questions. But again, our number is 877-548-3675. So I, I guess the question that like in my mind, when I'm having a season, I'm just you know having a really hard time, maybe struggling, doubting God's plan, whatever it may be, maybe even doubting you know God's goodness towards me. Um, I'm preaching tomorrow from Romans eight twenty eight, so that's so so. Should I, um, in the midst of that, build my faith up with you know going to the Word of God, praying with the Holy Spirit? Should I lean into the doubts? Should I do both? Or put simply, should we be afraid to ask questions, challenge our faith when we have doubts? How should we respond mm-hmm. as followers of Jesus?
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. You're, you're, I mean, you're talking uh, Ed about what I'm going to guess many of your listeners experience on a weekend, week out basis. You know, yeah. do you lean into it? Do you crucify those doubts? Do you ignore yep. them? Take every you, thought
2: captive. You... Right. Exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I would, I would urge, um, I would urge your listeners to not ignore those doubts and pretend they don't exist and what i mean by that is this um i love when i clean my house um my wife catches me sometimes of sweeping dust under the rug without actually cleaning doing a deep clean and you when actually i actually do a, this you actually I, literally I sweep actually, dust under a rug i have 100 wow and here's the I, problem I, I just
0: want to end i want to end our interview right now thank you everybody for <laughs> you listening to the show we who, who does yeah. that all right yeah. good sorry but yeah. there's a now, point we, there good
1: We've done enough counseling for me to learn my lesson okay so i'm I'm not doing that anymore but i will say this you you sweep stuff under the rug you may not see it but it doesn't go away and it it just builds up and what for it what i think is for most people a faith crisis is that years ago you just ignored your questions and just pretended they don't exist your questions are questions about the faith i think those can be invitations by the living christ to deeper relationship i mean when i do premarriage marriage counseling the number one sign that the couple that i'm sitting in front of should not get married is when they tell me they don't have any arguments mm. because the, a lack of arguments to me is a sign that you're not actually doing relationship mm. if you actually love god there are going to be times where it that relationship is difficult and hard and when you ignore it and you pretend that that's not real, you're just sweeping stuff under the rug. It's just going to pile up into this big... Here's, here's what I'm trying to say. <clears throat> As you are dealing with your doubts and your struggles along the way, take those things to God. Don't ignore them. Actually, we have a word for that, by the way. It's called confession. Confession yeah. is just telling God what is true. The, the New Testament word for confession, homologeo. you're not telling God something he doesn't know you're telling God something he already knows. Just name it, just name it. Mm. Don't ignore Mm. it, don't pretend it doesn't exist. Give God the honor of hearing you describe reality to him. He loves it when we tell him the truth. Mm. I mean, the the, the Psalms, the the Psalms are always, the the authors are like, God, 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 where are you? What are you doing? The Amalekites are trying to kill me, The, the cows of Bashar, I mean, they're just naming all these things. That's the Bible's invitation. I love Ellen Davis at Duke University. She says the Psalms are the First Amendment of the Bible. It is our free speech before the living God to actually tell him what is true. Mm. Mm. Well, let's, let's take some calls. Let's go to
0: Michelle in Naperville, just around the corner from where I am right now. Michelle, you're live on the air. Go
3: ahead. Hi. Um, thank you for taking my call. Um, I wrestle with just the existence that God always was, that we're just supposed to believe he is. He's always been. We don't know where he came from, how he was created. Mm. I have a harder time with struggling with my doubt for that than I do believing that Jesus came down as a human being in flesh like us, because I can relate Mm. to that. Even though I do understand that Jesus is also God, I still wrestle with where did God come from? And I'm not sure on this side of heaven if we're ever going to be able to understand that And what do we do to move forward to just accept that and just wait until we're in heaven to fully understand it all?
0: That's a really great question. Michelle, I want you to hold on the line because we want to give you a copy of uh, After Doubt, How to Question Your Faith Without Losing It. But so this is one I hear a lot. I mean, it's I can't right at the end. She said I can't like intellectually fathom. I mean, those are I'm putting words. I'm, I'm modifying those words a little bit. God's eternal existence. I can understand Jesus died for me, but there are big questions. So help oh. us to understand that, the intellectual questions we might have.
1: <laughs> Man. So and I need you to answer have... them
0: all. Answer them all on y- this yes, call yes. right here.
1: <laughs> you got it. I'll, I'll systematically address every single epistemic issue that we all, we all face. Um, I, uh, there's, there's, this, uh, there's this thing that happens when I teach, when I'm in the classroom, I teach my Old Testament class. When I'm teaching the book of Job, which is the story of a guy who loses everything except for God. Um, he has some friends that aren't very good friends, but he, he, he loses everything. And we tend, I've noticed, my students tend to assume that this story of suffering is the story of somebody else. It's always about somebody else. So the, the Reformed preacher, I, I've heard of a couple of early kind of Reformed uh, preachers in in the in the in the kind of development of the reformed tradition, who who say it's actually a mistake to read this as about some other guy who suffers, that this is actually the story of all of us. That all of us will lose everything. And that the story of life is that at death we lose we lose it all. In in essence, I think the story of Job is about all of us. We we all will at some point give everything that we have away to somebody else. We will die, and all the stuff that we have, we will be given to everybody else. We're all generous eventually. Um, that, that's the story of life, is that we all will lose it all. In the story of Job, <clears throat> you have a guy who has all these questions for God. And there's this culminating moment at the very middle of the book of Job where Job brings all of his questions for God. He has these questions, and he comes into the presence of God. And he doesn't get to name one of those questions. In fact, the questions are not from Job to to God. They're from God to Job. Were you there when I created the Leviathan? Were you there when I created the foundations of the earth? Were you there? Here's what's interesting about the book of Job is Job does not get answers to his questions. All he gets, he does not get answers. He gets God's presence. And I, I suspect for some of us, what we think is an intellectual question is really at the end of the day, we long to be in God's presence. I do think with all my heart that there are times that God does not give us the answer, He gives us Himself. And those, those questions, you're gonna have eternity to talk to the living God about those things. But sometimes we don't have answers. Sometimes we just have Jesus. And that at those moments, that needs to be enough for us, is to be content with God over the answers.
0: Mm. Deeply personal for me as well. I lost my sister at a young age, 21 years of age, of a rare form of cancer. And uh, I've often said the Lord didn't give me the reason why, but he gave me his presence in the midst of that. And I think that's a challenging word for us to hear, but an important one. 877, we're taking your calls, 877-548-3675. One more segment with A.J. Swoboda talking about his book, After Doubt, How to Question Your Faith Without Losing It. Your calls at 877-548-3675. Hey, we're back. This is Ed Stetzer. Really good um, a good positive and encouraging conversation today. AJ has learned that we have amazing callers here on Ed Stetzer live and we got one last segment 877-548-3675. And I did mention that um, that we were going to take calls when we came back. And so let's let's do that and just jump right into the calls. Let's go to Cat in Chicago. Cat, you're live on the air. What's your question or your
2: comment? Hi, thank you
3: so much. Um, hi. Um, sorry, I'm at work, and I was helping someone too. Um, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, so, my question is: So, I I have literally lost everything in my life, financially, emotionally, spiritually. But God has definitely provided for me in more ways than ever. Just like uh, what you were mentioning, and um, uh, to the last caller. And um, I'm actually alone right now with where I'm living. Um, I don't have my church near me, and I can't even see anyone right now. So what what would you suggest to help me, in addition to the Bible, to still hold on to my faith, um, even when the enemy is hitting me really, really hard right now?
0: Well, Kat, I think it's a great vulnerable question. I want you to hold on the line, because we're going to give you a copy of... AJ's book that I hope will be part of encouragement. It's after doubt, how to question your faith without losing it. But I mean, AJ, here she's in just sort of a really tough situation, doubting, maybe struggling. Um, how would you respond to
1: Kat? What advice would you give? Oh man, Kat, I want to say, um, I don't know you. It sounds like you're at work right now and you have lost a lot. And as a, as a sister (laughs) across the country in a very different part of the world than my own, um, I just, I have a tremendous sense that Jesus loves you with every, he is so, God is so in love with you, friend. And you, you have right now a very unique opportunity to build your sense of identity. When you lose everything, you have to build your life on something. And Jesus gave just the most beautiful teachings on this stuff. When the storm comes, what has your life been based on? You have the chance right now to build your life on the foundation of Christ. I would say, you ask very practically, I would say for anybody who is walking through these kinds of experiences like you're describing, being in a community of people that is exalting Jesus really matters. You need the Bible. I love that you love the Bible, but you need a group of people that you can walk with. You you are not to be alone. God did not, I love, in the very beginning, Genesis 1, God Genesis 2, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. He does not say it's not good for man to be unmarried. He says it's not to be alone. God did not create you, friend, to be alone. He created you to be with people. And the church of God can be a beautiful place for you to find that. I would, I would, if I were uh, in any way, shape, or form, I just encourage you, find a community that loves Jesus and throw yourself into it.
0: Yeah, and it might be hard. I mean, that's part of the timing as well. Father, I do pray you give Kat grace and comfort and strength in the community that she needs, even in this time, in, in Jesus' name. Uh, let's go to yes. Gabby in Chicago as well. Gabby, you're live on the air. Go ahead with your question, your comment.
3: Hi, yes. Um, so my question is that um, my husband's been struggling with his faith for a while now, and I haven't really been made aware of the depth of his struggle for many, many years. Um, how do I support him with his questioning mm. when I don't feel like he's looking for answers from God actively, without it turning mm-hmm. into me forcing it on Him. I mean, I'm praying, is I mean, there anything
0: else question. that I can do? Yeah, it's a super yeah. question, and we hear your heart in that. We want to, we want to give you the, the copy of After Doubt, How to Question Your Faith Without Losing It. And AJ, you don't. We, of course, you don't know all the details, so let's talk kind of generically. You've got a spouse who's walking through some doubt
1: and some questions. How best to help? Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for your vulnerability and even asking that question and your love for your husband comes across in the way you ask. It's very clear. Um, yeah, it's, it's tricky. I mean, I, I, I put myself in in a, in my wife's shoes, um, of what she has done for me in those moments where I'm really struggling. There was a period of time about three years ago when we transitioned out of pastoral ministry and I lost my entire sense of identity. Um, and she, how did she walk with me through the midst of that? Um, I, I would say that the thing that was so redemptive for me in my wife's posture towards me in my struggle was her relentless willingness to listen to me without judging me, allowing me to name my struggles safely and know that she was not going to push me away as a result of it. She just let me talk. And I would, I mean, Ed was vulnerable in saying there have been times I've, tr- I've struggled to believe God's plan and what God wants. Um, when I tell my wife that, to know that she is strong enough to hear those words and not overreact, but respond with presence was so redemptive in my life. So I guess my my, my encouragement to you would be, um, be okay listening and not pushing away when you hear something that's hard to hear. Hmm. I think that's what I would say. But again, hmm. as Ed said, I don't know the nuances of the story. And in those kinds of situations, finding a Christian counselor or somebody, that uh, a, a pastor or somebody that you can walk to, could probably be really helpful as well.
0: Yeah, good. Thank you for that vulnerable call, Gabby. We appreciate it. AJ, uh, I, I found the book. I find your whole emphasis here helpful. It's interesting. Donna, my wife, is a uh, Just has this just faith that's steady and rock solid, and I can be up and down at times and frustrated, and to pray through my struggles. And it it seems that people respond differently to different ways to doubt and struggle, um, in a marriage or whatever else it may be. Is 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 am I is that your act is that is that accurate perception? Do you see that some people just they're just mystified? How do you how do you doubt and struggle with this? And others,
1: it's more common. Yeah, it's weird. In, In at least in my marriage, what happens is this: we oscillate. There are times when I am the one that's full of faith and my wife is struggling, and there are times that I'm the one that's struggling and she's the one that's walking in faith. And I I almost wonder if that's God's gift to us. Uh, Mm. And when I say that is that um, we just tend to balance each other out. Um, We don't get too high, we don't get too low. We we walk in tandem, and that's God's gift to us, that there are moments that I'm doing great, she's not, we're going back and forth. But a long term faithfulness to Jesus and obedience in the same direct long obedience in the same direction
0: little Eugene Peterson at the end of our program today. Thank you, A.J. Swoboda, for joining us in this conversation. Again, reminds you the book is After Doubt, How to Question Your Faith Without Losing It. Super conversation today. Thanks to our callers as well. And thanks to our behind-the-scenes team at Moody Radio. My producer, Karen Hendren, engineer, Courtney Young, and Hans uh, Nakuba has been on the phones. To hear today's program again, as always, you'll find it at com. I should also mention all the links to the book, the resources, A.J., and more are at edstetzerlive.com or the Moody Radio app. You can connect with us through social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or are all Ed Stetzer Live, easy to find. Let me also encourage those of you who maybe listen this day, you can't listen every Saturday, subscribe to the podcast. You can listen whenever you'd like to and uh, you can download it and all the Moody Radio programs are there at the Moody Radio app. And let me remind you that Ed Stetzer Live is a production of Moody Radio and Moody Radio itself is a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute. So thanks for listening and we look forward to Having a conversation
1: again this next Saturday.